0: Hello and welcome to HFMA Talk, the podcast for NHS finance. I'm Mark Orchard, Chief Financial Officer at Portsmouth Hospitals University NHS Trust. This episode continues our series of conversations where I get to talk to some of my current and former NHS colleagues working across all sectors and geographies right across the UK and beyond. If you're enjoying listening to this new series so far, you'll be doing me a great favour if you're able to spread the word amongst your colleagues and friends and also on your social media platforms. And most importantly, please do remember to hit the subscribe button on your podcast app to subscribe to HMA Talk so that you never miss an episode. And today, is is a special one as I have the privilege to be joined by Professor Alan Brace who just a few weeks ago now, retired from the most senior financial role within the NHS in Wales, having spent almost five years as Director of Finance for the Department of Health and Social Care within the Welsh Government. Alan, welcome. How are you today? And and how has the first few weeks of retirement been for you?
1: Afternoon, Mark, and lovely to see you again. And uh, thanks very much for the invite. Uh, yeah, it's very strange. Uh, I, I got that mixed feeling of probably still feeling like I'm on holiday, <laughs> uh, and the holiday just keeps going on <laughs> every week. So uh, it's very strange. You go from a 100 miles an hour job, which I guess we all do, don't we? Uh, full diary to actually just having all of the time to yourself, but uh, particularly enjoying it this week with the nice weather. So starting to, to settle in quietly to, to life in retirement and, and just gradually slowing down, I guess.
0: Right, I say, you've got so much to talk about. Um, and given that you've recently retired, Alan, I thought it was only right that we took a bit of a look back approach, um, bit of a this is your life approach to this one, if that's all right. The year is 1961. You were born in the Rhonda Valley, which of course is a former coal mining area. In south wales so first up uh, tell me a bit more about your roots
1: yeah i i'm probably a child of the 60s and 70s mark uh, probably don't like to remind myself of that too often now it feels <laughs> such a long time ago but yeah had a typical uh valley village upbringing really um my dad was a coal miner uh, the whole family were a coal mining family uh my mother stayed at home, brought the children up, uh everybody knew each other, we all went to school together, played together, socialized together, normal village life full of characters. Um and yeah, I did uh really happy childhood. Um enjoyed everything about it, enjoyed school, uh, played rugby for the school, played rugby for the village, all of the usual uh things and yeah, probably uh, a bit then, Mark, that probably stayed with me through my career, really. You you probably, as you get older, realise probably a lot of the, I guess, the values uh, that you brought up within in a community like that. But also sort of the importance of public services. I hadn't realised sort of how much sort of health and education were really prized in, in some of these sort of village communities, really. And probably in some sort of... Um, Subconscious way is probably why I ended up in health, really, and probably why I ended up wanting to stay in Wales.
0: So you went to the local comprehensive, um, and then you graduated from University of Wales, Cardiff. Is that right?
1: Yeah, it was interesting, uh, well, I was su- interested, I suppose then there there wasn't really the careers advice you get now, so. So most of the advice was do well at school and that'll give you an opportunity to go university. And and then when it came to sort of what to do at university, the advice was do something you enjoy and uh, just the fact that you get a degree, you get a job. So I enjoyed history, so I decided to do history in Cardiff, Um, but then that was probably late seventies, early eighties and the the world changed quite markedly, I think. it suddenly become more about sort of relevance of degrees and you know uh, and particularly it was interesting sort of uh, how much things like business studies and accountancy even in the three years I was in Cardiff suddenly came to the fore when it came mm. to graduate recruitment exercises and and probably one of the reasons I decided that given my degree probably teaching was the the next step so I went into teacher training, um, yeah, in London of all places, uh, which was a far cry from sort of uh, my life uh, <laughs> in the valleys and in Cardiff. But um, yeah, didn't didn't enjoy it at all. It was a time when I think um, a lot of teachers were leaving the profession to train again. Uh, And I think the educational system was so different from what I was used to. So I think it was then I realized that I needed some additional qualification. Uh, Law was the next, interestingly, it wasn't accountancy, it was law. I just thought that was probably... Uh, something that I would enjoy more, but you had to do two years in law school. You had to pay for one of those years yourself. I had no money. My parents had no money. <laughs> uh, so then the next uh, option was accountancy. And I started to look around at accountancy training schemes. Uh, applied for quite a few, including the NHS, the National Audit Office, local government. Uh, got interviews for all of them. Got through the first round of interviews for all of them. And the NHS in Wales uh, came up as the first, second interview. Uh, and I don't know what it was preparing for that interview, going through the process, uh, being offered a, a a place on the graduate training programme in Wales. Suddenly, I just thought, yeah, this, this, this suddenly felt right for the first time. Uh, up until that time, I was probably um, just drifting without any real sort of structure or good advice and, all of a sudden, it this felt like something that um, probably felt right. So yeah, that's how I ended up uh, in the Welsh NHS really by accident. Probably more of a, a lemony snicket snicket series of unfortunate events than a well thought out career path. Really, <laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely. So as you said, national uh, finance trainee uh, for the Welsh Office. Yeah, um, and then you qualified. Uh, I think uh, around about nineteen eighty seven, age twenty six. Um, I understand. That then you spent the next couple of years in local government, gaining experience before you then went actually uh, back into the NHS. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I uh I started. Uh, although it was a, a Welsh Office training scheme, Mark, we were placed in the old health authorities again, showing my age. So I was yeah. within one of the bigger ones, which was actually my home patch, Mid Glamorgan Health Authority, and mm. and I started with the Cook's Tour. Uh, in Bridgend General Hospital is where I met my wife. Um, ah, yeah, so quite sort of influential uh, in my life in a number of ways, really. But it, I really loved the operational buzz of working in a hospital. I did a weekend in AE, I was a porter for the week, I just did so many different jobs and I just loved it. Yeah. Then I went into finance, uh, and in the old sort of training scheme, it was you really got to start at the transactional end. So I did 12 weeks in payroll, calculating bonus payments for ancillary staff. And, and the contrast between the buzz of, of a weekend in A&E with calculating bonus payments in a remote treasury department, treasurer's department was almost sort of um, at that stage. I just thought, well, I'll get my accountancy qualification, but I'm going to go into general management because that looks a lot more interesting. Um, so when I qualified, it was the the usual, um, I guess, process at the time. There was a job year marked for you, which then was uh, the old scale nine, which there was only three in the health authority and one was year marked for the trainee. The others were sort of for seasoned uh, individuals who sort of worked hard to get there. So I went from a, being a popular trainee, which everybody had time for, to suddenly being the most hated person in the health authority, being given a rapid promotion to a job that everybody believed I couldn't do. So it was at that point, I just thought, well, I wouldn't mind trying something else. So I again applied for a ridiculously senior job in local government, uh, got interviewed for it and bizarrely got appointed. Uh, Probably uh, completely incapable of doing it, but, uh, but learned quickly. I uh, had quite an interest in two years actually but I always knew I was coming back to health so it was one of those and during the training scheme Mark I was advised that if you want to be well a treasurer it was called then rather than a director of finance you, you had to move every two years and, and unfortunately I took it literally so I just thought I'm going to move sort of two years in local government and then I'll move. And I, uh, for the sort of very early part of my career, I literally moved every two years. So I went, um, it was at the time then when the internal market was, uh, GP fund only was coming into health. Uh, tr- trusts were uh, on the sort of horizon uh, for organisations. So I decided that that felt like a good time to get back into health. So I took a job as the deputy unit accountant of an organisation that was going into trust. And I did all of the work then with fund holding, uh, setting up clinical directors, giving clinicians their budgets. Uh, so it just felt like work. I you know for the first time really connecting finance with the service, probably for the most enjoyable uh, uh, part. To date of my career at that stage, because it felt like working a lot with clinicians, translating finance into uh, service and service into finance, so a lovely connection and a great job to sort of uh, get back into.
0: And and then you know what what I'm, I'm looking at your CV in front of me, Alan, um, and and you, you know you then went on to um, become finance director, I, I believe at Ronda NHS Trust, stage thirty two. And then what really struck me then was you spent the next. Um, the next sort of eight years or so, um, in three finance director roles, all within your, your your home homeland. If if I put it that way, you're at Ronda NHS Trust as finance director. Then you went to, uh, then, and some of these, of course, change boundaries and names and so on. I'm sure, but East Glamorgan NHS Trust, and then Pontypridd, and Ronda NHS Trust. I wondered if there was something deliberate about that in terms of and how that felt really to step into a finance director role and to continue on that phase of your development in your home patch
1: yeah I'm definitely uh mark there was something particularly the wrong the trust uh, yeah uh, two opportunities for me really I mean uh, to work in a trust but to work in a trust on your home patch yeah. you know with friends family community where you were brought up was um, felt like a unique opportunity I mean it there was a lot of experienced people going for the job. So I was probably the very least experienced on the shortlist. So I didn't really have a huge expectation of getting it. Um, But I did. Uh, And that probably, um, you know, there's a couple of things I think then that sort of really made a difference. One, no, I probably had a lot of learning to do very early, but there were thirty trusts in Wales then with a lot of experienced yeah. finance directors that I could just watch and learn from. The trust, um, and it, it's probably a valley thing in Wales, but but people always want to give back to their valley. So a lot of the non-executive directors were very successful people. Um, and it was at the time when they were smaller boards in Wales then I mean they 're much larger now with the big organizations, but there were sort of just four non executive directors, but they were four highly successful people, and I just learned a huge amount from them you know so i I probably um ended up uh in a really lucky position uh being the finance director of a patch I knew inside out, I knew the communities, I knew yeah. the people. You know, uh, my first meeting with the trade unions. Uh, one of the trade union reps said, um, "I'm your father's cousin," so <laughs> so immediately, you know. And then I realised that a lot of people working there I was in school with. So there was just something that, for the first job, everything sort of seemed to come together uh, really nicely and. Uh, And that first 12 months was really hairy because I I probably didn't have the experience for the role. But but after that, I think I I just sort of settled well, learned a lot, learned quickly. Uh, Unfortunately, then got into this two year cycle. So I then decided I needed (laughs) to move again. So I then moved to East Glamorgan Trust. But it was a bigger role. It was sort of running, contracting, information, IT, deputy chief executive. So Again, in a, a very short period of time, I, I sort of took a lot of additional responsibilities on, which again, I loved, I enjoyed and um, and one of the things, mark, that I think um, I learned from sort of rapidly moving through a lot of different organizations, and probably something that a lot of people don't get so much anymore is um, so very different cultures, very different leadership styles, sure. Sure. And, you know, going from uh, one of the organisations that was very much sort of into that more macho culture long hours, you know, really aggressive on performance to East Morgan Trust, where I always remember on my first Friday at about sort of um, half past four, the chief exec came in and just asked me what I'm still doing there. She <laughs> said, you've got a family, you should be going home for the weekend. And it was a bit like, well, it's only 4.30. It was... You know, I've probably got a good few hours left yet. And and it was refreshing. Uh, and But she was a highly successful chief exec. And you just start to realize that, you know, there are probably cultures and styles that you were more comfortable with. Uh, but there's more than one way of doing things successfully and running a successful organization. So so working in different organizations and seeing different things, I I just think give me a foundation that I probably appreciated more in later life and particularly setting up the Finance Academy and some of the other things. I, I drew drew on a lot of my early experiences, but I didn't realise it at the time.
0: <laughs> but I say I come back to the um the thing that struck me about your C V was that actually you're in the same sort of general patch. Because you then next moved on to Pontypridd and run Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, I uh, and it was interesting, Mark, because um in the year before the mergers, in '99, I think it was, um, I was the chair of the All-Worlds Finance Directors, so I was chairing a group of thirty people that was about to go down to fifteen, ah. and I was one of them. I was probably in that unusual position that the two organisations were going to that were going to merge were the two that I'd been the finance director for, so. You know, it was one of those, if you didn't get it, there was probably going to be some serious embarrassment. Um, But yeah, it was a fascinating uh, process really. And and having to lead uh, all of the trusts by being chair of the, the all Wales finance directors meet every month and it's where most of the business in Wales has traditionally got done. So being chair of it is is quite a sort of privilege and an influential position for the, the 12 mm. months you do it. But to do it when, you know, you could see around the table that there were 30 colleagues who were about to go down to 15. And all mm. of the sort of impact that that would have on the finance community was a great experience, but a sobering one. Uh, and yeah, I was one of the lucky ones to come out the other side and uh, Pontipriathan and that was the new organisation. And again, I carried on as uh, Deputy Chief Exec, Finance Director, contracting in IT Information uh procurement, you know, a whole, whole raft of sort of things added to your portfolio. But but great times again, a lot of continuity in the leadership team, you know, bigger organization, a new hospital to commission yeah. in Rolden Morgan.
0: Yeah.
1: And that probably Mark was the the downside of serving your own community is um uh, you've got to put up with friends and family telling you how to run the organisation better and where the NHS <laughs> fails. So you've got to prepare that every weekend somebody's going to tell you that you're doing a bad job and you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. But the other one was um, just professionally knowing that you're opening a brand new facility that's going to be great, but you're shutting quite a lot of hospitals. And there was a lot of small hospitals in the run that were paid for by miners' pennies. It was uh, miners sort of put a penny in a week to to build a hospital. So from a mining family, um, having to go to big community events, you know, where 150 people would turn out protesting against closures and have to stand up, you know, in front of your own sort of uh, community and probably for them defend the indefensible. But for you professionally, knowing that modern medicine requires modern facilities it it was um you know it was great because i could relate to i knew exactly where they were coming from but but really tough job to do when you're from the patch that uh you know you people think you're taking something away from them
0: so you were um i think in the latter period of pointy and ronda you were acting chief exec but then, then you went on to you you moved westward then in terms of your commute at least um, to take on the chief exec role of Carmarthenshire Local Health Board. So, uh, you know, very much a step up. You're in your early 40s at this point, Alan. Um, so how was that from a step up perspective? How did you find that transition?
1: Yeah, and, and uh, some reflections, I guess, Mark. One of the things that, um, you know, obviously by the time uh, Pontypridd and that had come along, that was my third finance director job with a lot of other things added in. I had done a period uh, covering for the chief exec uh, there Uh, she'd gone on to cover the regional director's role and it was expected that i would be a chief exec and and again um, it just felt like that there you, you had to make progress but i don't know if i ever really had my heart in it in the sense that i really wanted it but it was at a time when they created 22 local health boards uh, to do uh, population health commission in primary care. I was approached uh, to have a look at the one in West Wales um, with a strong indication that you know um, uh, that I would apply. Uh, the whole process went really quickly. I met the chair and, and next thing you know, I was chief executive uh, after a very quick interview uh, process. And... And a very tough patch, um you know, probably in financial terms um, a, a lot of sort of a legacy of financial deficits, yeah uh, a lot of service change uh, again with some very difficult communities, you know hospitals that needed to sort of um, start to think about how they dealt with emergency and elective surgery differently, so moving services from hospitals and, again, sort of, you know, communities feeling that uh, they were losing things. So a very difficult five years in a very difficult patch. Um, But probably in hindsight, one of the career-wise and experience-wise, one of the best things I did. Sure. But I didn't enjoy it. Um, And the world of chief execs is very different from the world of finance directors. Although... You know, whether it was a difficult contractor meeting where we'd slug it out or we'd argue over things, there was a strong sense of a network and community in finance. Yeah. And every month you'd come together, we knew each other, we almost grew up together. It was just a lovely, safe environment. The world of chief execs, very, very different. Um, and not the same sense of network or community. Or uh, And it felt at times quite a lonely, isolated role. Uh, great to actually chair and to lead an executive team because Hmm. it probably, um, uh, and I had a really excellent finance director, but I could almost hear myself being played out in front of me and then a medical director who probably had a different view and a nurse director who had a different view and a planning director with a different view. And then I had to calibrate all of this conflicting advice and often possibly perhaps you know go with the medical director rather than the finance director on the issue but 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 really interesting to watch finance from a very different role and and I think was quite instrumental when I went back into finance then around um some of the early work I did on what a modern finance function could look like and research because having watched it for five years um and also watched the downside of it. you know a lot of finance directors slugging it out over difficult negotiations on money when possibly there were bigger issues at play, so you know often just looking at some of the negative aspects sometimes of the world of finance and and possibly thinking that there may be a different way to approach some of that.
0: So I want, I want to get on to your most recent role in a second, but before I do, the, ne- the next place I'd like to just take a little pause, if we may, is where I really got to hear about you proper, which was um, uh, an Iron Bevan, University Health Board, uh, Finance Director. And then you won the HFMA Finance Director of the Year Award 2014. Tell me a bit about that role, because um, i mean, tree because you, you did a lot in that role. It was a bigger patch than it had been before because of mergers and so on.
1: He- Yeah, hugely, Mark, and I'd arrived there um, briefly before the new organisations kicked off as the interim director of finance for Gwent Trust, so I was on the patch uh, just covering the finance director's role, which was probably my transition back into finance, so where I wanted to get back to, I didn't really want to be a chief exec anymore, Um, uh, and I was lucky, I mean, I got uh, interviewed and... And it was a fascinating process because um, we're only a country of three million, Mark, you know that, and it was um, uh, very small, but we had 42 organisations that were about to go down to seven big health boards and uh, the trusts, uh, there were three trusts that were going to be left unaffected. Um, so this was a big change. So you imagine 42 finance directors all going through a process. I think four of us emerged the other side. Uh, I was fortunate to be one of them and I was appointed to an Iron Bevan Um, and it was fairly uh, pretty much a new board. So a new chief exec, uh, new chair, new non-executive directors, mostly people from outside Gwent. So I wasn't alone. Um, A number of sort of LHB chief execs. There were four of us on the board, all in different roles. So we'd all come from the old LHB structure, but but different sort of uh, patches. It was at the time when uh, the decision was made around sort of austerity that health would be on flat cash in Wales, and local right. government would be protected. So, we went from this exciting opportunity for a, you know a, an organisation that would be population health focused, uh, would work in an integrated care. So we run uh, integrated care systems. We would run everything from community pharmacy all the way up to specialist services. You literally had everything. A new board all excited to, to make a difference and, and a prospect of no money. So the billion pounds that uh, we had was going to be the same billion pounds that we would have to deal with with for the foreseeable future. So, you know, that was quite an influential time for me, Mark, because I think um, the board uh, didn't, particularly the non-executive directors in the chair, but I think it was true of the executive directors, none of us turned up to salami slice the NHS in Gwent and just take money out of it. We all wanted to do the best we could for the community, drive quality and safety, but live within the money, have a financial discipline that was equally important, but uh, not do it in a way that damaged services. And I think that started me on the path that led to value-based healthcare. It, it, allowed me to do a lot of work running up to the formation because we had six organizations going into one. There were six finance directors. None of us knew who, were getting the, who was going to get the job. So we decided that we would work together, do as much research as we could, talk to many people and, des- and design a finance structure between us that we thought would reflect the best evidence. Uh, and that was uh, probably, uh, again, some of the work that led to the Finance Academy. So those early years uh, in that role probably um, helped me think around some of all of the other developments that I probably ended up most proud of. But but probably the turning point, Mark, it was um, David Sislin was the Director General in Welsh Government. It was... Uh, December two thousand and eleven from memory, so I hadn't been doing the job long. Uh, Andrew Goodall uh, was chaired in a meeting in Neville Hall Hospital. You probably remember uh, that as no, well, Neville, Mark. well, yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And actually, I think now knowing that you were born in Royal Gwent, we'll probably put the, one of those blue plaques in there to to commemorate <laughs> that this is where Mark Orchard was born. But uh, I remember Andrew getting called out to take a call from David Sislin. Um, he was gone a while. Uh, I remember him coming back into the meeting. We finished the meeting. It was literally about to break up for Christmas. He asked to see me after the meeting. He took me to a side room. And one of those moments when you just think, what have I done? (laughs) Who have I upset? (laughs) I don't think I've done anything wrong, but I must have. Uh, Andrew was really serious, but but basically just said um, uh, that... uh, David Sislin had approached me. There was a gap in Welsh government. Um, the finance director had left, and uh, he wanted me to come in and cover uh, and he wanted me to come in straight after Christmas. so I literally and it was for three months um, so I literally I don't think I had a choice but uh, I, I, I I said okay. Uh, went home for Christmas and started then in this role in Welsh Government. Um, fascinating experience, Government is such a different world from the NHS but the role in Welsh Government is you're also professional head of finance for NHS Wales so you, you've mm. literally got both strategy mm. policy responsibilities to the Minister but operational financial performance management and delivery in the NHS and professional standards so the three months became six months, six months become nine. I I wanted to desperately go back to uh, an Iron Bevan. I didn't feel like I'd sort of, you know, there was a lot of unfinished business for me that I wanted to see through. Uh, but I saw NHS Wales through a very different lens for almost 12 months. Mm. And generally, Mark, and this was probably the most sobering bit for me, I could see that uh, the finance community was just desperately struggling, you know, uh, probably still approaching things in the way that they traditionally had, but none of it working anymore. You know, big organizations having to save serious money whilst delivering performance, changing services. And you could just see that the finance, and finance is a profession, are generally got a very strong work ethic, work exceptionally long hours, are used to delivering results, used to delivering results quickly, you know, are often in monthly cycles, annual cycles. And you could just see that none of the old tools and techniques and approaches were working anymore. And I could see a lot of that across Wales. I could equally see because we were uh, in this role. I've got to sit on all of the finance directors uh, appointments in Wales. And for the first time, there was no Welsh people on any short uh, which was fascinating because we had gone from most finance directors growing up in Wales and eventually sort of coming through so actually, nobody making a shortlist, uh, probably people not looking to apply. And, and all of a sudden, the finance director's role starting to look like a job that nobody wanted. Mm, um, mm. And again, a, a lot of that was quite um, instrumental for me in terms of uh, setting up the finance academy. And, and I remember in September where we have the Welsh uh, HFMA conference, and uh, in the role that I've left, you always do the keynotes, uh, uh, start and talk. And I decided that we needed to do something about finance development. Um, so I did a presentation saying that our talent pipeline had become disconnected. You know, some of our approaches were were no longer working and relevant, and and we needed to do something different. And I remember as the last slide was. Uh, we need to set up um, something like a finance faculty or a finance academy. And I remember a lot of questions from the organ- uh, from the audience saying, what's a finance academy? And one of those, Mark, where I had absolutely no idea other than some broad ideas in my head. But that was the start then of a process. And I was determined to get it going before I went back to an Iron Bevan so we could start to sort of build it. And uh, yeah, I was lucky then I went back to an Iron Bevan. Uh, It led to me going over to Harvard to look at sort of the work over there and then the value-based healthcare. And yeah, I was uh, the team then um, without me knowing, Mark put me in for the HFMA awards. Uh, Like I said, nobody from Wales had ever won it. So I didn't have any expectations at all. Uh, I was yeah just thrilled then when when I did win it and and not for me really I think more as a recognition for for the team and and for Wales really it it felt like a a nice moment in time when the finance community were under so much pressure and stress and morale was quite low that you know at least we could sort of lift our heads and and sort of um, you know do something more that that felt like the UK sort of uh, recognising something in Wales.
0: Absolutely. And so Alan, thank thank you for that. And and you, you then went back, of course, um subsequently to the um in the substantive role of Director of Finance, head of head of profession for the NHS in Wales, uh, for the Department of Health and Social Care within the Welsh Government. Um and then continued that development on and continued that work that you'd launched there around the Finance Academy in Wales and, and the Finance Delivery Unit. Can you, for the for the people on this listening to this podcast, particularly outside of Wales, Alan, who would be less familiar with those two Two things Could you just unpack that a bit more because I think those those two those two things in particular the academy and the delivery unit in Wales seems so strong, and I think feel we've got so much to learn from. Could you just unpack those for the for the listeners outside of Wales if that's all right
1: yeah I, and uh, when the job came up in two thousand and sixteen uh Mark and Andrew Godall, who was my chief executive and Iron Bevan had been appointed as the director general for uh Health and Social Care and Chief Exec NHS Wales so it was a very conscious decision then to apply for it go through the process and yeah fortunate to get appointed and and there were a couple of things then that I was just probably quite determined then to really sort of progress quickly. Uh, one was value-based healthcare so you yeah. know um, a good opportunity to suddenly do it across Wales so so that was one of the early sort of actions the finance academy um, had been growing uh, but this role gave me the opportunity to start to sort of put it on a proper footing so we suddenly had a team to support it um, we'd sort of all we'd already been working that there were probably four things that we had to pay some real attention to uh, one was developing our people but particularly our talent pipelines and not just for finance directors we we needed to develop multiple pipelines that actually sort of went um, as deep into the organisations as we could. And to the extent that we wanted to work with universities, so we wanted to make the NHS an attractive place for graduates, uh, apprenticeship offers, offerings, as many offerings as we could for people to come into the NHS. And, and then once they were in uh, the NHS, is to support them all the way through their career and to make sure that we had real active offerings in everything that we did so developing our people developing our talent uh, we we set up the graduate training scheme it had been dismantled we got that back up and running um, uh, did a lot on our various sort of talent pipelines. so that was one of the work streams and we uh, subconsciously mark and it's a psychological thing we Attended to tag finance staff development onto the end of the agenda for the monthly finance directors meeting. And having sort of gone through all of the difficult finance issues, there was no energy left really for finance staff development and no time. So I created the Finance Academy board, which I chaired, which I actually met separately every month. But was a space that that's all we had to do was to talk about finance development and our our profession and what our, our ambition was and we I didn't allow any deputies so it was very much a, an expectation the finance directors all pitched up that they would lead some of the work streams and be very visible in in their leadership so of the four work streams all were led by finance directors so developing our talent developing our people excellence in everything that we did we realized that to add value we needed to get our transactional bit as slick as we could so that our routine work was was pretty much sort of automated which gave ourselves a lot more time to do business partnering you know driving service change all of the better decision making stuff so uh, creating excellence in basic sort of financial uh, disciplines was was one of the other work streams uh, then obviously uh, partnerships, you know Wales is a small place and uh, there's a lot um, at the government level about small country governance, how public services work together. So we we develop relationships obviously between Welsh government, uh, Welsh uh, Wales audit Office, local government health, uh, fire and rescue, the police, Uh, And we started to realise that each of these fed each other so we could start rotating staff. So we could take trainees on together and they could rotate between public services. So when they came out the other end, they didn't really have the same barriers that perhaps I'd grown up with where we didn't understand the world of local government and they didn't understand our world. So, So developing people who just sort of saw life from different perspectives was a real benefit as well as... Having the opportunity to work with people like Wales Audit Office, so we understand their world, they understood our world, and and rather than just have the normal set piece audits, there was opportunities outside to have more broader, open discussions. So, so that was another key work stream, and then the last one we just realised, and the lessons from austerity was we can't just rest on our laurels. We had to keep pushing for where the next innovation was. So innovation, value-based healthcare became another uh, work stream uh, and there was no sort of set objectives. It was just uh, freedom to say, where's the best and what does the best look like, whatever it is, and then go and find it and bring it back and we'll pinch with pride and then we'll adapt it and welshify it and we'll use it. Uh, and those four work streams, Mark, became quite instrumental, I think, in everything that we we did. And... And I think once we got going, I just think it scaled quickly, it grew, and I just think by being open around um you know sharing what we were doing but but learning from 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 others, we just made more and more contacts and and the more you make contacts, the more you realize that all of us are grappling with similar problems, and none of us have got the answers so so it it allowed us to um to learn a lot quicker I think as a finance community and and one of the things I wanted to absolutely make this about is that the finance academy was all about it it wasn't a Welsh government issue thing it wasn't a finance directors thing it was it belonged to every finance professional in Wales and it was theirs and our job was to support them not the other way around and. And I, and I hope that that's one of the things we've achieved. You know the buy-in that we've got is great, and and now we're running multiple talent pipelines. We've got cohorts coming through, and and the recent finance directors' jobs have gone from uh, to a lot of them have gone to people from our talent pipelines. So we're starting to see the benefit now, which is nice. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Fantastic, Alan. Um... You, the, the last part of your career, we we across, across the whole of the UK, in fact, across the globe, we faced some significant challenges and we were the pandemic and so on. And um, and that might, must have brought with it some additional challenges in the role that you were in. So just give me a bit of insight in terms of what you were facing um, during the pandemic, um, the contribution you played from your role. Yeah,
1: probably, Mark. I never thought I'd spend uh, the last year of my career um, in a global pandemic, but... Um a privilege in many ways to just see the NHS at his very best and and actually I was due to retire at the end of September last year but I, I yeah I, uh, I agreed to stay on I couldn't you know I don't think anybody would walk away um from this would they so so yeah the the financial aspects particularly Mark were really challenging um none of us had experienced any of it had we and you know, the the thing that we probably knew is that um, finance couldn't get in the way of dealing with uh, the immediate problems. You know, we had to deal with the pandemic and the NHS had to sort of be free to do so. But this is public money. And I think, you know, and I guess this is where experience comes in. You know that there would be questions around the use of public money, financial governance so. What we did uh, and this is where I think we are lucky as a very small country with a, you know just seven health boards, and we can get all the finance directors together really quickly so so we issued a load of guidance, a load of monitoring returns, we set up a weekly meeting with finance directors. me and my team met the finance directors every week uh, we monitored everything, and for the first couple of months, the job was really having a look at the impact and then working at a government level both in Wales and the UK to secure the funding. We knew that we had good governance. We paid a lot of attention to it. We got a national counter fraud service. We got a national internal audit service. So we actually just sort of asked those to have a look at everything we were doing. And if there's fraud, find it. If there are weaknesses in systems, find it. So we actively encouraged early on in the pandemic as much scrutiny as we could you know we shared learning uh, we made sure that where people did some good board governance changes around decision making that they uh, that they shared that quickly and then we looked for good practice the academy did a lot of work sharing things as rapidly as we could the finance delivery unit were literally sort of working actively with health boards as well as nationally so so we did all of that and that sort of gave us a, a reasonable confidence that we 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 felt in reasonably good shape. We secured the funding for the first quarter of the year and we knew that we had enough for the second quarter. And then we just focused our attention at a government level on making sure that we had enough money for the rest of the financial year. We We allocated that out in the summer and then we told the health boards to plan on that basis. They all produced plans. The finance delivery unit reviewed them. We'd done peer-to-peer reviews, so they all sort of subjected themselves quite openly and actively and happily to just uh, uh, each health board sort of being buddied up and and looking at each other's plans and challenging each other. And by about September, we, we we just felt we had financial stability and we were confident in it. Everybody was forecasting that they could live within their means. We knew that we could manage the MEG at a Welsh government level. We knew we had enough money for PPE the vaccine programme and everything else that was being developed at the time. So finance became um, more sort of straightforward, interestingly enough. But obviously at the start of the pandemic, uh, PPE was a real challenging area. Um, Obviously, all of the finance directors in Wales of the health boards have been finance uh, directors and directors of procurement, including myself. So Andrew Goodall said, would I lead on PPE? So I worked with a shared services team and yeah, I'd have to say some um some hairy uh early few weeks, um, you know, fascinating discussions at a UK level, you know, everybody's really sort of grappling with some wicked issues. You know, we'd we'd gone from the 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 sense that everything should be global supply chains now just in time to suddenly seeing global supply chains collapse and just in time, not being the right strategy. So, you know, we went quickly to what could we do locally just in case really. So, you know, having to sort of just rapidly sort of change everything that, you know, the, your systems, your processes, your, your beliefs have been sort of geared towards all of a sudden not working anymore and having to recreate something different. But, um, but yeah, it was it was difficult, but uh, probably, you know, uh, never really sort a weekend. Easter came and went, May bank holidays came and went, you know. It, it just felt like, you know, up in the morning, work until uh, late in the evening. And that just felt like seven days a week, every week. Um, but yeah, we, we then started to sort of uh, get a bit of confidence that we had our sort of, um, our sourcing strategy was delivering We were building up stock and we'd uh, work with the military on some of our logistics to tighten up distribution. You know, I chaired a weekly exec meeting of all of the APP exec leads in the boards. We had sort of regular dialogue. And yeah, it was uh, a weekly meeting uh, with the first minister, weekly meetings with ministers. It was uh, pretty much sort of um, full on Uh, and nice that actually finance was a little bit more stable. I, I think it would have been hugely challenging to try and have done PP as well as, you know, if we've been in real difficulties um, through finance.
0: A lot of that will will resonate with so many people, all all people listening to this podcast from different parts of the UK and uh, in different roles. But um, those Easter weekends and May bank holidays and so on, you just mentioned right back in the beginning of the pandemic. um, I think we were all, all feeling the strain in different ways.
1: And you realise sort of just the human costs of it all as well. You know, as much as, um, you know, we know it's our jobs, don't we? And we want to do our best for the communities we serve. You know, I just think that public service ethos, I just think in everybody and, you know, finance people adapted themselves to loads of different roles, didn't they? But but also, I think at the time, people were just going through this personally one their on, loved ones, family members, so, you know, to keep sort of uh, pitching up Working long hours, uh, you know, when people were equally sort of having to deal with personal loss as well, is just a testament, I think, to to, to public sector workers and to the NHS in particular, really. And a, you know what a fantastic sort of workforce we got, and and what a fantastic team finances actually.
0: I, know, I couldn't agree with you more. With those comments, thank you. Doing these conversations, we like to uh, pose a few. Well, what might be seemingly random questions, um, just for a sort of quick fire, instant response, just gives us a bit of insight into the person, if that's all right. If you could go back in time, what would you tell your 18 year old self?
1: Not get so uh, worried about the future, Mark, not get uh, so stressed about work. You know, uh, I've always had a good balance with my family life, but, but, but I I'd, I'd keep reminding myself that uh, work is not the most important thing. It's family and, and actually retiring. You know, I don't think I'll ever regret sort of not spending enough time in work, but, but you will regret not spending time with your family.
0: Which decade of music do you enjoy the most?
1: Oh, 70s without a doubt. You know, both me and my wife agree that there is no better decade. And yeah, that's got to be... It had everything, didn't it?
0: And anything in particular stand out in the 70s?
1: Ah, oh, I, I just the whole sort of... Uh, you know, obviously early 70s for me, Mark was sort of the T-Rex, the Sweets and all of that sort of, uh, those bands. And then, uh, interestingly, towards the end, sort of moving much more into sort of uh, the start of punk and and some yeah. of the sort of, uh, some of the new, sort of the new wave music, new, new romance or whatever it was called. Yeah. So just the contrast really, Mark, for me. Yeah, I love the 70s. Yeah, just... Uh, and I think uh, probably being a teenager is is the sort of the, the age of discos, which whenever I say that my kids just look at me now. If I say <laughs> disco, they just sort of just look disgusted that I even <laughs> use the word. But yeah, it's it's just disco music, Mark, wasn't it? And it's the your formative years, I think. <laughs>
0: Excellent. And, and my last uh, question in the quick fire round, and um, you can spend as long as you want on this one, Alan, in terms of your answer. Um, I just wonder what the most proudest moment of your career, looking back.
1: On reflection, uh, there's a lot of things that I've been hugely fortunate in. So I'd, I'd recognise that I've been sort of um, lucky and blessed in my career, really. I've done some great jobs with some great people. But but the things that sort of uh, i think stay with me now after retiring are almost the things that you've you've built and things like the finance academy the finance delivery unit value based healthcare but also the royal morgan hospital you know, even simple things like the PFI for the staff residence is there where I drive past now, and you just realize all of those torturous legal negotiations and work that you did. So, yeah, it's it, it's the things that you've you've built that 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 were lost, and and probably more importantly, and probably the thing I'm most proud of is to see so many young finance professionals through the academy just benefiting from your own experience the good the bad and the ugly and just seeing them with confidence coming through like i said a number of them becoming finance directors and yeah just that uh, sense of um, you know leaving things in a better place and things that will make a difference in the future not just sort of about you or you being around things that don't require you to be around that that hopefully will will bring benefit for for a number of years. So yeah, and um, you know, last going off, Mark, we uh, Wales became a global innovation hub uh, with the World Economic Forum, sort of the only country in four. Others were sort of more condition based, and and just seeing the opportunity for Wales to develop its work around outcomes and to know that if we improve outcomes, then friends, family, communities that you're from will all benefit from that is is quite a nice sort of uh, thought, I think, uh, that actually not just making a difference to things finance related that actually you can impact on services, which sometimes feels a little bit hard when you're working in in a difficult financial world and a financial discipline, really, and to think that actually you can, through some other work, make a, a real difference in everything from cardiovascular care to diabetic care, etc., is is quite a nice feeling, really.
0: Yeah, fantastic, Alan. So, give us a feel of what's next for you then. So, you've retired now. You're presumably going to spend a bit more time with the family and so on. But you've got many years ahead of you, Alan. So, what, what's uh, what, what what what's your what, what's your plan?
1: Uh, shed lockdown pounds in the gym. Mark has got to be the 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 <laughs> early priority. I I said I wanted to have the summer off. That was quite deliberate. You know, a lot of people advise me that always retire in the summer, which I think was good advice. Um, so I was determined to take the summer off. And and one of the things I I sort of uh, said really, Mark, is I want to spend a lot more time with the family and perhaps travel when time allows. But um but finance is a difficult world and you've got a lot you've got to knock a lot of square pegs into round holes often so i didn't really want to do any more of that uh but but work that was more about doing interesting things with interesting people and like you said you know things that can make a difference feels like something that would be worth sort of worth doing so yeah probably uh i'm still involved in Probably best health work, uh, so probably a bit of that. Um, if there is an opportunity to support the Welsh finance community around development or helping people, you know, um, share experiences, sort of support people, then yeah, definitely that as well. Really.
0: Before we before we wrap this up, I just wondered, Alan, if there's um, if there's any messages or any sort of final words, maybe that you want to send to any former colleagues um, who I'm sure will look out for this podcast.
1: Uh, just to say to them all, Mark, like a huge thanks. You know, I have been fortunate to work with a, a lot of talented people, but a, a lot of sort of kind, genuine, helpful people who have helped me along the way, and uh, and have been a real pleasure to to work with, and and just hope that uh, all of them are enjoying good health uh, and and happiness, really, Mark, and uh, yeah, and those who are still in work. Um, uh, keep up the good work uh, and there is light at the end of the tunnel
0: <laughs> Alan I've enjoyed this conversation so much it's um, been an absolute pleasure to to take a trip down memory lane for, for you as well and, um, and spend some time so I really enjoyed that to everyone listening in uh, thank you for choosing HMA Talk as I said at the start if you're enjoying listening to this new In Conversation series please spread the word as well as subscribing to the HMA 4 Talk uh, podcast on your podcast app And if there's anyone you'd like me to have a conversation with, then also drop me a line, uh, get in touch via policy at hfmay.org.uk. Until then, enjoy the sunshine, enjoy the summer, and I'll speak to you again. All the best.